Those Space People, a podcast series of casual cosmic conversations with people working on exciting space projects. Today we have Heather Ann Bottom. She is a systems engineer at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Heather has a background in astrophysics and space engineering, and she is currently based in Hawaii. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you worked on the Perseverance mission, and which obviously being part of a mission like that is a huge dream come true for space enthusiasts across the world. Was this also your dream to work in the space sector, to work on these fancy space missions or to be an astronaut? Ooh, gosh, it's a really good question. So I kind of have a unique background. When I was a kid, my dream was to be on Broadway <laughs> and be a dancer and a singer and an actress. Um, and and I did do a little bit of professional dance and, and did get to do a Broadway national tour. But other than that, so when I was in high school, I started learning about the space industry and you know, I think the I started out with in cosmology and like devoured books on the subject. My mom always joked I wasn't a very good reader when I was growing up, but as soon as I learned about astronomy and cosmology, I couldn't stop reading and she was like, "Oh, thank goodness, like you can actually read." So <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I would say it's your dreams kind of like evolve as you grow up. And so, you know, as a, a young child, I loved performing. And and then as I got, you know, through college and in these internships and you learn more about what NASA and is doing, and then you learn more about what the space industry is doing. And I think for me, it's just kind of evolved as like more of a passion that I just want to continue like giving back to the space industry and, and exploring out there because it means it just means a lot to to our society. So perseverance was one example of that. And I think seeing it as successful as it is today um, and being a huge part of that mission, it, that that's been really, really cool. Yeah, it really is kind of like a dream. So <laughs> but yeah, and and I'm excited now. Uh, I'm, I'm still keeping in touch with the Mars rover, but I am branching out and I'm joining some new missions at JPL. And I think now is kind of where it takes off and I get to use some of the knowledge that I learned from Mars 2020 and give it back to these other big flagship missions or smaller scale missions that are getting sent up as part of the JPL, as part of the JPL docket. Wow, that's so... You're like, is this your dream? I'm like, gosh, I had so many dreams as a child. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite nice. I mean, that's really incredible because I think there's the stereotype, the ones who dream of... Dream, they have these space dreams, only they end up in the space sector. But yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's great. But oh, wow, Broadway. I'm going to come back to that later. <laughs> I definitely want to come back to that. So, uh, so before you joined JPL, though, uh, did you work at any other uh, place? What was your experience? So what led you to your position at JPL? Okay, so I guess I'll be like totally honest how it kind of went down. So I was I was in astronomy and I thought I wanted to be an astronomer. I learned that you have to stay up really late at night to be with the telescopes. And I was like, oh, no, this is not the career for me. Like I want my sleep at night. Um, so I, <laughs> I learned about engineering um, through a NASA internship called the NASA Academy. I think it's called a different name these days. And um, and I learned about engineering 
and decided to go to get my master's in, in space engineering. And, and from there, I was kind of on the track to get my PhD. Uh, like I was funded, I passed my quals. And then I, I actually ended up getting a job at SpaceX. Um, I kind of started putting feelers out there to see what was possible. And I thought, you know, I think I really want to just dive into the industry. Like getting a PhD wasn't really something I needed in my life, uh, at least at that time. And so, yeah, I jumped into SpaceX and I worked at SpaceX for about two and a half years on the Crew Dragon mission. And yeah, it's that's another exciting mission that's gone off pretty well. I didn't stay through till their launch. Obviously, I, I went to Mars 2020 after that. But the differences between the two are always something that I think I'm going to draw from like through the rest of my career. SpaceX is like a really cool, interesting place. And the way that they're doing things, I think, is really going to make a big difference um, in the space industry. So curious to see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, SpaceX really revolutionized everything, right? They've changed the, the tone of how space is done across the world. Yeah. That's incredible. So when you transition from SpaceX, which is a very uh, result-oriented or high-stress environment to a research environment at JPL, did you face any challenges? How did you How did you transition? Definitely. So, well, first, it's funny. I I kept joking with my colleagues at on Mars 2020, I was like, I feel like I've come from the future. And I'm like teaching you like what the future looks like at, you know, it's like SpaceX, they have these fancy uh, screens and all the different GUIs that do all sorts of fancy things. And over here, we're trying to like, you know, engineer these small little dinky GUIs and it's extreme. But, but yeah, I mean, the differences are are pretty, pretty extreme. Um, I will say, I think Mars 2020 did have a as far as JPL goes, it was probably the most similar to SpaceX. It was very fast paced. People were like very just like driven to get the mission done. For Mars 2020, it was like, we're not going to change the name of the mission because we have to launch in 2020. So so we were definitely like a little similar to SpaceX in that regard. But um, yeah, you know, the cultural differences, um, there wasn't there wasn't any like at SpaceX, you get like free coffee or free M&Ms, you know, the, that doesn't <laughs> exist in academia or at, at a, a laboratory. But in, in terms of uh, research labs, I think JPL is about as fast paced as they can come. People there, I think, are, you know, maybe it's like the LA lifestyle or whatnot, but, you know, they're very driven to get the missions done. So I, I did like that parallel. Um, for me, you know, like I said, I, I like to dance and sing. And so I wanted more of the work-life balance. And I really missed the science aspect with the astronomy. So uh, going to JPL, I got a lot more of the science out of the missions versus SpaceX is a little bit more actually commercial, like uh, send the cargo up to the space station, send the people up to the space station. Like we have these rockets, they do these things. Whereas JPL, it's a frustrating point sometimes because you want the missions to be run similarly. But anyways. Currently, you are the systems engineer at uh, JPL. So as far as I know, systems engineers are the ones who deal with a lot of documentation and a lot of boring paperwork. Is that a major part of your work? What exactly is your role as a systems engineer? It's so funny. So systems engineering is such a hard such a hard term. So I joke um, with friends. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm a social engineer. Like a lot of my problems are bringing people together, um, making sure that the telecom systems lead is talking to the power systems lead and hearing them, understanding their problems, and then 
bringing them together so that we can find an adequate solution. And, you know, so I'm part of negotiating, like you want to just like always with engineering, it's, it's finding the good enough sometimes instead of like the best answer and always kind of like working in the gray space. Um, Whereas I think in like traditional engineering, it's a lot of like black and white, or sometimes in science, you'll see like black and white. I think science can also be a little bit of gray space sometimes when it comes to like data analysis, but Anyway, so yeah, I think while we do close out documentation, um, specifically I'm on the like integration and test side of the house. So we do a lot of testing. We won't need to close the testing with writing procedures and data analysis and closure memos and things. So that, that exists. I think there's a part of a job that everybody kind of hates, you know, but did I say hates? (laughs) (laughs) Tolerates, perhaps. Tolerates. There you go. That's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the the reason I like the job so much is because it, it kind of draws on like that creativity side of you. So there's not always the right answer. There's kind of a, you get to find that answer together with the other engineers around you. And, and it's also, um, it kind of gets at like, you know, for, for me, I, I think y- you look at some of these space missions in awe and you're like, gosh, what an amazing mission. And so you get to see the big picture because systems engineers, they have to like bridge across many different subsystems or subdisciplines. And so you get to see that big picture. But then when there's some technical issue that comes up, you have to dive into the details. And so it's still kind of it like scratches the itch of the big picture. It scratches the itch of like getting in there and like the nitty gritty. For me, I, I really love math. So like if it involves math, I really think that's cool. And yeah, so at JPL, there's all sorts of flavors of systems engineers. Sometimes they they joke it's like a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none, which uh, you know it, it's a loaded it's a loaded term. But I think it's something that I, I think I'm probably proud of, like that I can be a little bit multidisciplinary and jumping from trade to trade. And it's it's about the people, so I get to like meet lots of really cool and interesting people as well. So <laughs> and learn from them. Did your time as a performer? help you in any way navigating your career, either at SpaceX or at JPL? I mean, that's so funny. I ask myself this a lot. I I think as a dancer, you're very like physical and <laughs> as engineers, you're not as physical. So that, that doesn't really <laughs> come over. But sometimes I think like the memorization aspect or like picking up steps really quickly, um, you know, you're very you're a visual learner, so I draw on whiteboards a lot, and I find that like it's um, it's a way to communicate. I think in terms of like putting on a show, that's where I think the parallels come in a little bit more uh, common. So some of the testing I did on Mars 2020 was scenario testing, like day in the life, like okay, let's put the vehicle through its paces from launch all the way through landing and a couple of days on the surface. And we did a bunch of these scenarios on the flight hardware before launch. It was kind of like one of the final system tests. Um, I think a lot of missions go through them. And uh, I, I was the lead of these tests and I found it kind of to be like the producer of like a, a, a show, right? Like I had to make sure you had the right people in the right places that the procedures were getting written. Or, I mean, in my case, I had to write some of the procedures, you know, so you kind of step in where you have to, to get the job done. And it's like this 
grand big scale thing that you see come together and then for us like you know we had the rover it was like the star of the show and and so there you know there's parallels you can draw between them and so that kind of like orchestrating aspect um i know one of my friends is a musician and he uh is on the entry descent and landing team and he would always talk about entry descent and landing as like a type of orchestra and you have all these different players that are are playing with each other and against each other and you you have to like you know and then you have a conductor and i think he used to call like the uh the computer you know the main computer um board the the conductor so yeah it's kind of a fun parallel to draw and i think at, at JPL because they do really honor the like work life balance that you come across a lot of people with these like multidiscipline or like artists and all funky kinds of things which is it's nice yeah <laughs> wow that's really good to know work life balance is really really important i completely get that is that a natural progression at JPL being a systems engineer so is it usual that all everyone starts out as an engineer or a scientist and then ends up in these system engineering roles Oh, that's a good question. No, not necessarily. I think systems engineering is probably for like a specific personality, you know, somebody that really does want like the breadth and the depth. There's a lot of people there that stay as like thermal engineers for their whole career, mechanical engineers for their whole career, um, robotics. Robotics is really big at JPL. And so, yeah, so that that's pretty typical. I, at JPL, they have like a couple different tracks, I think, for your career path. And this is kind of new to me because at SpaceX, I, when I was there, they didn't have like, you know, oh, here's a career path for you. Or So at JPL, you know, you can kind of become like a technical engineer expert or a technical scientist, or you can kind of like work your way up like the management chain, I guess, if you really wanted to. I'm not particularly sure which direction I want to go. Um, I think I really enjoy like managing people, being around people, maybe because of that performing aspect. I don't know. And, and I, but at the same time, I, I do enjoy the technical stuff. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but there's definitely different tracks and, and there's a lot of people at JPL that will just stay like working in the, the specific subdisciplinary roles their whole careers. Yeah, and, and JPL has like different, you know, they have these big flag, flagship missions like Mars 2020, Europa Clipper, um, Psyche, you know, those are the big ones right now that are coming up. But they also have smaller missions. They have research going on in the defense industry, in astronomy and astrophysics as well. So there's a lot. Uh, you mentioned about SpaceX. Uh, so how does career progression work at SpaceX? Yeah, I, when I was there, I mean, I don't... I don't really know. There, it's a very linear organization. So JPL is kind of like a matrix organization where you have your project and then you have your like line organization. And then at SpaceX, when I was there, it was a little bit more linear where everybody there weren't there weren't specific systems engineers. Everybody was kind of a systems engineer in their own own regard, and they also had to be the like thermal lead and the systems engineering of that thermal subsystem and. Yeah, I am not sure how things look these days at, at SpaceX, but but yeah, I, I mean it, it's kind of just like uh, everybody hands on deck all the time. Like, let's just get the missions done as you can. Elon would sometimes have different priorities at, at the company. He would say, you know, Crew Dragon is our priority now, or the Falcon Nine Heavy is our priority now, and and 
you know, you would kind of adjust as you needed to. Yeah, I mean, given that it's SpaceX, I can only imagine that it's um, it's more spontaneous and constantly reorienting and evolving on an everyday basis. Do you miss being more of a hands-on engineer now that you're a systems engineer? Do you miss getting your hands dirty on hardware and all that stuff? So I think that actually in the work I get to do, I still do some hands-on work. I started out after college doing thermal engineering, um, which is not particularly hands-on. I've So I've never really, I wouldn't say I like, I've never really missed it. These days I'm in the test bed a lot. So I do get to do a fair amount of testing with the hardware. And yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think I would be any sort of good systems engineer if I wasn't like getting my hands dirty as I could, you know? So it's like when you hear about problems that are happening, you, you want to go and like see it up close. And even if you're not the engineer on that problem, as a systems engineer, you still want to see it and know everything about it. So as a systems engineer, like it's not your job title to like ask those questions and like go really deep. But I think that it's totally okay to do that. So it kind of makes the job a little bit more fun when you get to learn more about specific things that you don't see every day. So you mentioned that the work-life balance is really great at JPL. So do you see a lot of engineers from the space industry where it's not often that rosy, you know, in terms of work-life balance? Do you see a lot of them moving to JPL or such research labs? Yeah, I've seen a fair amount. Like I, I know a couple of people from SpaceX that have moved over to JPL. And, you know, I, I say it's a good work-life balance. I think it is what you make it, <laughs> like it with any job, but they at least are a little bit more understanding. And, you know, if you need to take the day or or whatever it is that they'll, they'll work around it and, you know, your family's important too. So, but yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I think when I joined SpaceX, I, I thought for a little while I would be more drawn to like the commercial companies or like the startup companies in space. And, and for whatever reason, I, maybe it turned me off to it, but I, I do kind of like the structure that, that exists at, at JPL. And, you know, if that is for people out there, then it's a good place to work. And, um, I, I can't speak to other NASA facilities though. I don't know how it is at other NASA facilities, but, but that's been nice. Speaking of employees and contracts, right, you you are a part of Perseverance and a bunch of other missions you're going to be part of. So how are people employed at JPL? Do they work on a contract basis? For example, at the German Aerospace Center, uh, there are very few permanent positions. So most people are employed on a temporary basis. And every two years or every four years, they get an extension. And then you're involved during the, that period in, in a few missions. Right. So how does uh, all this work and JPL? Oh, yeah. So there are some companies that are contractors that JPL works with and you're there like on a contract basis. Uh, but yeah, if you're employed through if you're employed through JPL, you're actually a, an employee of Caltech. And I think I mean, it's not like a, a tenured position where they cannot fire fire you, but it's more or less a job. Right. Like and it is they don't just like fire willy nilly here or there. Um, SpaceX, there were like mass layoffs that occurred, you know, and everyone's like, oh, am I going to be next? So there was a little bit of fear um, of that when there, when I was there, but, but yeah, I, I think in general, I mean, there's an upside and a downside. I think sometimes at JPL too, you come across people that might be difficult to work with and you think, oh, like maybe they shouldn't be here anymore or whatever. 
but and they the way that JPL works sometimes they'll like move you to a, a different position that would be better suited for your strengths. So in a way that I'm I appreciate that sort of thing because they're they're constantly trying to like keep people around because they see the longevity of like having somebody there for a while. Obviously, JPL, you know, all the engineers and the scientists at JPL work on these amazing, super iconic missions. So what backgrounds do they often come from? Are there any mandatory degrees all of them have or do they come from a variety of backgrounds? Yeah, I think it's a variety. I know like I have a master's degree, but a lot of people I work with have bachelor's or master's. Um, A handful have PhDs as well. I'll say I don't really know. Like, I don't think it really matters all that much. I think certain positions, um, like in the science directorate, you might need like PhD for, um, you know, JPL has postdocs and interns as well. And so there's kind of just all sorts of, of people there and it's really nice. So all, all different flavors. We also have um, four nationals. Um, I think right now there's not as many. Um, they kind of go through like a hiring freeze every so often with the foreign nationals. But yeah, there are people that exist that exist there <laughs> that um, they come from all over. How does JPL decide on which missions to work on? How much say do the do the engineers or the scientists have in in picking which missions to work on? The flagship missions, I think, kind of come from like the decadal survey and you know what emphasis NASA puts on these big missions. For smaller missions, um, there's like a proposal process that you can propose to at JPL and you can form little teams and then propose and then build your team up from there if you win. They also have something called Team X. Have you heard of this Team X? Is it like the Boston Dynamics kind of uh, super cool, crazy stuff? (laughs) No, that's... Gosh, yeah, no, I would love to hear more about that. No, it's kind of like an incubator where you can bring your bring your mission, you know, and you're like, oh, this is my mission. And then you have like, you know, telecom, power, thermal, um, attitude control system, science person, and everybody kind of just throws out ideas and you have like a day's worth and you and a systems engineer and you just kind of try to like put it all together in a day. And then out of Team X, some sometimes the, that helps them like bring them to proposal space or you know any sort of iteration from there. Um, I've never, never never participated. A friend, a couple of friends of mine have, and it sounds really cool. I, I haven't been bold enough to come up with a mission of my own or even like a team build a team up for a mission. So we'll see how it goes. But wow, th- that sounds incredible. I mean, it's it sounds like a better version of these university ideas that we have. We all have these grand yeah, ideas yeah. at university. And not much experience, nor the support or the funding. So this is, uh, this is wow, this is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. Like, you know, when you're in college, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to have this mission, you know, or you're, yeah, I mean, if, if your ideas go far enough, then it's a good place for that. So, and, and I should say, I think with Team X, they do welcome like external people to propose and bring your mission forward. So I don't know how it works. I'm sure you could Google it, but. Yeah, I'm sure they accept proposals for it and you can like figure out your mission. Wow, wow. That's, that's super cool. I also keep hearing that a lot of astrophysicists astrophysicists end up on the Wall Street, you know, working for the Wall Street because <laughs> they're so good at processing complex uh, data algorithms. I'm asking you this because you have a background also in astrophysics, right? You must know a fair share of uh, astrophysicists. 
Yeah. No, it's funny. It's because of like the data analytics, right? Or like there's like this big data thing. Oh, go work for Netflix or something. And no, I, well, so I, my husband's an astrophysicist. And um, when we were in grad school together, uh, I knew a bunch when I was there as well. I started working on like an astrophysics balloon mission. And uh, a lot of the folks there, there's, I think a handful went over. Yeah. They're either working for like some sort of wall street. So I do know a couple that did go over and work uh, for wall street and yeah, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate, but I think, you know, you have to decide what's important in your life ultimately and, and where you kind of want, want to go after grad school. So if you gain those skills, then, you know, maybe you can move on and, but yeah, I think astrophysics is kind of a hard one because when you when you get a degree in it, you either have to pursue it fully and like become a professor or become a full-time researcher in it, you know, or what do you do really? And so I think that that that's a tricky one. I think when that, with engineering, there's a lot more commercial applications to it. And so, you know, you can kind of go to different areas are, are you, sorry, if you don't mind me asking, are you an engineer by trade or? Yeah, so I'm I'm trained as an engineer and my background is embedded systems. I, I think I've just taken like probably one or two courses during my undergrad in astrophysics. So all I know is how a star or a planet is formed and my knowledge ends there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool, right? I, I think it's very cool. It's a tough, it's a tough career for sure. If you want to make of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible, right? It's fascinating for me. I, I think it's um, tries to basically um, get to forty two. If if you are getting the hitchhikers uh, reference, I'm yeah. trying to make right. So it tries to uh, formulate the question, or I don't know, arrive at forty two somehow. I'm, I'm sure it must be a very transcendental kind of a very philosophical experience for all these people. So I'm often curious, and I try to ask people, what would make them give this up? and go to another sector like you know like like the wall street or the finance sector or something else like you said netflix i know isn't that funny yeah i mean what would have you leave i i think too like so like for me i kind of transitioned careers from like dance into a, like the space industry I, I think i always knew i really wanted to go into more space but then you know at that time i had to ask like oh what what would i do to leave dance and for me, I kind of wanted more stability in my life. And so, but even here, I think sometimes you get lack of stability, especially with like astronomy, where you have to constantly be finding your own funding or finding a new job or a new postdoc job. Yeah. It's like not as, it's not as cushy as you might think. And then, so maybe people just didn't want that uncertainty anymore. And they just wanted something that they knew, you know, if I do this amount of work, I'll get this amount of money or maybe more, you know, and, and, uh, it's fulfilling enough and it is interesting and it uses my skills and maybe that is, that's all they need. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, it's kind of like, you know, people that I meet in the space industry, they're very passionate, whether it's like they're passionate about their research or they're passionate about space or the missions. They're like very passionate people. I found the same thing with like the performing arts industry. Everybody's like very passionate about what they do. And so I, I think that that's kind of a nice parallel, but yeah, me, meeting people, you know, they always have a lot to say about their research and they could go on and on and on about it. And I know like a couple of my friends that, have, you know, they went on and got PhDs 
I'm like, oh, what was your thesis about? They're like, well, do you really want to know? Like, I could talk about it for like hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of space sector and other sectors, so do you see people from other sectors, like non-space sectors, also coming and joining JPL, NASA? That's a good question. I think at least for JPL, again, because it's kind of in LA, we have seen a couple of people that come from the entertainment industry. Oh, wow. But not into, I mean, I guess some people will become like engineers. Some of them will, you know, they join different areas of JPL, like... um I don't know, like the outreach department or HR or something like that. Like you see a lot of people that may have held jobs also at like Nickelodeon or other kinds of things. Um, But yeah, I've heard uh, a lot of musicians. So um, I know a lot of musicians that are, were on, on Mars 2020. One guy, I think he played the, the tuba in New York city. And yeah, so it was very fun talking with him sometimes and uh, like pianists and things. And we would have like, uh, cast parties and people would be like playing the piano and it's just totally beautiful. So yeah, lots of talented people for sure. I've heard there's like a doctor that, that you know, like a, a medical doctor, but um, I have not met that person. So, but you know, it happens, I think the cross, cross the industry kinds of things. And, you know, if it piques your interest enough, I think you're able to get someone to stay. Wow. So, so these people, they go back to university and do a course on space engineering or something related to space and then come back and work here, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to have some sort of like degree to, to ground your employment. Yeah. How is the work atmosphere at JPL? You know, is it like a very close knit community? Like, you know, your spouses are friends with your coworkers and all the families hanging out together. So how does that look? Ah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like, um, it's actually a nice balance. So you can kind of make of it what you want. I know like Mars 2020 was a huge mission. So we had like a systems engineering team. And on that team, I definitely knew other systems engineers and, you know, our spouses were friends or at least knew each other. But I would say like within the Mars 2020 systems engineering team, which is like a small cohort, you know, we didn't get to branch out as much and like meet people from other areas. Um, My husband used to work at JPL as well. Um, So he had his own area of research. And we also knew some of the people like he would work with. and, And that was kind of a close knit group too. You would have opportunities to like go hang out more or less as, as you kind of wanted. And so um, at least for for us, while we were in LA, we had some friends there that were still from grad school or for me from dance. And so, you know, we didn't make it kind of our whole life, but instead it was kind of like, oh, we have our friends and then we have our work friends. And in general, everybody's very friendly and open and wanting to meet more people. So that's always, that's always really nice. So... Yeah, I mean, in general, space is a very, very small, closed sector, and you kind of know everybody already. So I can only imagine it being much more close-knit at JPL. It's true. I mean, so I I went to Caltech for my degree right across the street, essentially. And when I came over to JPL, a lot of my classmates from Caltech were over there too. So it was kind of like an extension of grad school. And I know for a lot of people that went to MIT, a lot of them come over to JPL because they're sick of the Boston snow. So they come over and like, all, they all know each other. And so yeah, no, you you definitely hit that one on the head. Like it's, it's definitely a small, a small group. 
and um, it's a, a nice place. Can you talk a little bit about your work, perhaps, because you started off with thermal engineering? So at JPL, the way that they structure the missions, you have like the, you have like levels one, two, three, and four. So like level one would be like the NASA headquarter requirements. Like, you know, you must have a rover that goes to Mars. Level two are like the project requirements there. That's kind of like, okay, you have the rover, but then you also have the deep space network. You have JPL, you have the other ground stations that you're talking to. Maybe you have the Mars reconnaissance orbiters on Mars that you're also, you know, so it's the whole project. So there's all sorts of different layers. Level three is the flight system, like the individual components. So you have like the flight system, the payload system, so the science, and then you have the mission system, which is like the operations. So you have these three different entities. And then, you know, can you leave me now? You have level four, which would be more box level. So you might have like the attitude control system, hardware components, um, the propulsion system components, the thrusters and the valves. Level five is, we're getting down there. So level five is like the flight software. So it's like the software that goes into how those components are going to get run. And then level three is kind of like those components all getting put together. And then level two is the components getting put together with all the other communication aspects of the mission, including the personnel and everything. So my work lies at about like levels two and three. I would say kind of flip-flop between the two right now. Um, and I did on Mars 2020 as well. So a lot of it is like looking at the requirements and the design of the flight system and testing the different parts in like a functional way or a scenario-based way. And then, so, you know, you're working with the hardware, but you're also working with the software. And like, we run into all, you know, it's part of like integration and tests. So you're like constantly making all of these things come together. The flight software usually goes through iteration cycles where they will make updates and then they'll um, provide those updates and then you test against those updates. And so, you know, and then you test and you find the problems. And so it's all this, I I think it's kind of elegant, right? Like it's like an elegant system that all gets, it's put together. Um, But yeah, so most recently, I would say it's mostly like the flight system. So on Mars 2020, I worked with like the, they had three different stages, the the rover, the descent stage, which brought the rover down to the ground, and then the cruise stage, which got the rover from Earth to Mars. And that gets jettisoned before the rover lands. I worked on the cruise stage mostly. And then kind of like the launch and cruise phases were were a little bit more of my expertise, um, where I, I knew you know, what do we need to do to get to launch? So we were like writing all the procedures. I wrote one of the, the procedures for launch, generating all of the files that we needed, uh, all the sequences before we get there. And there's uh, different kinds of integration tables that exist on the vehicle. Like they're called like spacecraft mode tables. Um, in our case, we also had a calm behavior module um, that would tell the rover how to set up the hardware for a particular communication pass or a particular way to communicate with the rover. And so those communication tables were also part of this like level three kind of niche group. So I'm not really like the thermal, you know, systems engineer, but it does like cross cross culture a little bit. Yeah. So you have expertise in the launch and crew phases. So does that mean you will continue working for all the missions to come? You will be focusing on these aspects? No, I think that's kind of the fun part is like, I, I can I can go on now and, and learn about something else. So there's like a process that you go through, like the VNV, the verification and validation of the system. 
And I would say right now I'm more or less like an expert in VNV. So I can take any any piece of hardware, any software, and make sure that the correct process is completed on that um, before it, it launches. So, you know, that's kind of my current expertise. And I'm working on both like the flight system level and the project system level of the VNV. You know, from here, I'm not sure where my future lies, but um, we do a lot of work in the test bed. So I might kind of dabble more in like test bed processes. I also really like like the deep space network and and that component of a project, um, which is kind of separate from like the flight software and flight hardware. So I might end up going over there. I think with within like the life cycle of a project, there's there's so many different time periods too. Like recently, I've mostly been working in like the INT, but there's the design phase um, as well and the conception fa- conceptual phase. That's kind of like the TMAX thing. And so in terms of systems engineering at JPL, that they do encourage you to like go across all different sorts um, and learn as much as you can. I think it, it keeps you growing. And then it also like allows you to bring different aspects of your experience. So you might be talking to somebody who's never worked on like thermal there's there's some aspect that kind of goes from one to the next. Otherwise, you can't just like plop someone down. That's uh, actually really fascinating because I was uh, usually under the impression that uh, because space missions, especially the ones by governments, there's a lot of taxpayer money involved. It's funded by the people. So there's a lot of accountability. And especially because since heritage is so important, always naturally assume that heritage in, in, in people is also more important. So for example, if somebody's fixing the screw for five years, they have to do it for the rest of their career. Because otherwise, if you move them somewhere, all the expertise is lost. But this is a really great perspective. You help people grow. Well, it's so funny though. I mean, you're hitting at like what maybe is like sometimes a frustration for me because on Mars 2020, we had such heritage from MSL, the Mars Curiosity rover. And you would have to like reach out to the person that worked on the project before they weren't on the project anymore. And yeah, I mean, information gets lost. I mean, for the most part, it's captured somewhere. And, uh, you know, I think that being able to do different jobs keeps you more engaged. Like, if that makes sense, like you're like, oh, it's something new. Like I want to learn about this. And so I want to do a good job at it. Versus if you're doing the same thing over and over again on from project to project, you might get bored or you know, and so it, it might uh, draw a different breed of people to JPL who who want to like, at least for the systems engineering side, like want to learn about all different sorts of things. Um, but, you know, and I, I certainly like I should caveat, I definitely speak about this like biased uh, from the systems engineering. So there, there might be other careers that, uh, that are a little bit different, but yeah. So coming back to systems engineering and uh, the piles of documentation that comes with it. During the Apollo missions, for instance, there's a lot of undocumented technical details. And that's one of the biggest reasons why we cannot pull off these Apollo missions right now, because none of the engineers who actually worked on these missions are in service right now. So is the documentation philosophy at NASA now a little different? Has it improved over the years? or? Well, I mean... Speaking from the Mars side, the Mars 2020 rover is it's like the first part in the Mars sample return mission. So we go collect the samples and cache them on the surface. The next mission picks up those samples, brings them to a laboratory in space, I think. And then that space laboratory like brings them back to Earth. And so like in that regard, I think you're motivated to 
document things as best as you can, because, you know, if you're not going to be on the next mission, you want to help those people that come after you because you want to get the samples back to earth. So that's kind of cool, I think. And, you know, maybe for the Apollo missions, they didn't capture that thinking. So for coming from SpaceX, you know, SpaceX is, they probably have a different take on documentation. They don't maybe do it as much either. Um, Cause the culture is more just like, do it, get it off the ground, have a successful flight kind of a thing. Whereas, and so they're a little bit more like tactical. They're not as much strategic. And at, at JPL, I think it's a much more strategic environment, always thinking about the future, the past, like drawing a common thread. And they do that for missions like Mars sample return, but then they also do it for people, like what we've been talking about, having a person, developing that person through their career. Whereas, you know, at SpaceX or maybe during the Apollo days, it's it's more just like, do, do and and go forward and and don't really look back. And so, you know, I think there's probably pluses and minuses to each approach. And it's just particular your preference, I think. The other day I, I read this, the the speech, the Apollo speech that was like, if they had crashed, um, what the world would have been like, there was like a speech that was prepared for if they crashed. And you know, you read that and it's like so eerie to think about how different like the world would be. And, you know, you never know. One of the leads of the Mars mission said that they also had like a crash speech prepared if crashed. And but they even like dress rehearse a crash press conference. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew I knew that they would have backup speeches, but not uh, wow. Dress rehearsals is really being very professional. <laughs> the reason I was talking about documentation is I did one episode with Alice Gorman. She's a space archaeologist. So her Twitter handle is called Dr. Space Junk. Wow, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, she's even written a book. So in one of the previous episodes, she was talking about how uh, looking at cable ties in one of uh, very long forgotten missions, so they could deduce a lot of information uh, that was undocumented just by looking at these discarded cable ties, the way they were cut. Like, for example, one of them was burnt, one was cut, and one was just ripped apart. So that means people were in a real hurry at one part of the mission, which was completely undocumented. Wow. So uh, part of her work is also this. So she goes into and she tries to unearth a lot of missing information about space missions. So that's, that's super fascinating. So since then, you know, since that episode, I'm a little uh, obsessed with documentation, actually. <laughs> so every time, every time I document my code or write a, an ICD for the customer, I'm like, wow, what would a space archaeologist 50 years from now or like 100 years from now <laughs> infer from my document? Yes, it's like that strategicness to it. Like, I think JPL has a little bit of that paranoia, too, where you're like, if someone's going to see this, you know, so many years from now, what are they going to say? I mean, we would write waivers to processes or requirements that, you know, you just have to say, it's just you have to just be honest with what you did. I think it's not, you know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm a bad person for like, bending this rule you know you just justify why you bend that rule and then you know if it makes sense to those that agree you know because it's always good to like run your ideas by other people <laughs> which is why you know you don't always you know you always have someone else approve your data reviews um, because if it's not just you so it's a regular practice right every time you're assembling disassembling no one does any um, fragile things or highly critical things alone it's always done in pairs so that's so 
Yeah. Okay. So I've uh, taken a lot of your time. I would love to uh, meet you again, have more in-depth chat and a lot about a lot of things. I will leave you with just one last question. Heather, if students or young space professionals or enthusiasts want to reach you, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, you can email me at NASA. Um, it's just heather.bottom at jpl.nasa.gov. I'm unfortunately, I'm not really that active on social media. Thank you, Heather. You've shared a lot of fascinating information about life at JPL and, and about your incredible work. Hope we can have another episode again and talk uh, a little bit about your short career as a performer, which is like super fascinating. I've never met a space professional who had a previous career as a performer. So that's, that's incredible. Oh, thank you. It was so nice to meet you and to be on here. I'm like touched and I'm so excited for the podcast. So yeah, it's been a pleasure.